You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Scottish Football Forums podcast. I'm John and I've got a, um, another guest special, um, a man who's recently brought out a second book, um, well-known Aberdeen fan, Ali Begg. Ali, how are you doing? Thank you for coming along. Hi John, how are you? Thanks for having me on again. Good to see you. Yeah, good to have you on again. What, 13 months after our last conversation? Um, I'm glad that um, you haven't been put off by the last experience. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. So we'll obviously come on to talk about the main news in your, um, your book, but obviously earlier in the week um, there was sad news about the passing of Bertie Alls. Now, mm-hmm. although you're an Aberdeen fan, you worked at Celtic TV and the Celtic 67 team that you um, got to know um, during that experience, obviously formed a connection with you and I read your blog um, in, in earlier in the week. Just sum up in your own words just what Bertie meant to you as a colleague and as a friend. He was just a beautiful man, John, in every sense of the word. I was very fortunate to meet, to meet him during my teenage years through my grandpa, who I think I've mentioned many times before to so many people. My grandpa was a football journalist out of Glasgow, much loved, much respected in the industry, a real proper journalist, a guy that managers, coaches, players, chairmen, club directors, they could all trust. And he really built a very strong reputation for himself. And he did a lot of lower league reporting. And he used to report a lot on Partick Thistle and go through to Firhill a lot. So I remember he took me to Firhill one, if I remember correctly, it was against Kilmarnock one Saturday afternoon when we were down in Glasgow for I think it was a birthday or something like that. It was a wee while ago, John. So the, the reason why we were down there escapes my memory, but it was around about 1986. And it was coming towards the tail end of the season because Bertie had only come back for his second spell at the tail end of that 85-86 season. And again, from memory, I think they played Kilmarnock that day in 1-2-0. And it was the first time that I met him. And he met my grandpa like a, a long-lost friend and family grabbed him and asked him how he was doing and how my gran was doing and how his kids were doing as in my dad and he was just he was just so charming and he was so friendly and he took a genuine interest in me my grandpa told him that I loved football that I was playing the game that I was doing okay and he was just fantastic and when I met him during my time at Celtic TV, he, you know, Jim Craig, who I worked with very closely, had briefed him, given him the heads up about me. And when I met him again for the first time after so many years, it was just, it was a wonderful moment, John, because he remembered me. He spoke so fondly of my grandpa. My gran was still alive at the time, so he was asking after my gran. And he was just... It was just the Bertie that I just got to know and love. One of the funniest men that I've ever met in my life. He could have me in fits of laughter. He could have me to the point of where I'm asking him to stop because my ribs were hurting and my cheeks were aching and the tears streaming down your face. 
he was just a beautiful man who had time for everybody. And it didn't matter what colours they were, they supported or what football team they followed. He had time for everybody. And that's what I loved about him. And he really will be very sadly missed. Definitely will. I mean, you hear some of the tributes have come in and even most um, before he's sad passing. Um, whenever you just think about it, I'll just think of a guy that's murdered had lots of great stories. What was the kind of funniest one um, that you can share? I just remember doing a, a phone-in show with him and he was the absolute life and soul of the party. And when we used to do our phone-in shows on the channel, he would usually be with another guest be it a Murdo McLeod or a Tosh McKinley or a Jim Craig or a Billy McNeil. But he was the centre of attention and people wanted to talk to Bertie. Now, don't get me wrong, they loved your Toshes and your Jim Craigs and Derek Whites and your Willie Faulkners and these type of guys, but they wanted to talk to Bertie. And there was a connection there. There was a real connection. And Bertie would just have these people in fits of laughter. And... I just remember he said to me once, he says, come on, son, get the next caller on. He says, I'm just in the mood for chatting tonight. Just want to chat. And he was just such good fun. And I didn't have to do anything. I just had to make sure the program ticked along and just made sure the program went from A to B and B to C, etc. I didn't have to do anything. I just had to introduce the caller to the guests. And off Bertie went. And it was just brilliant. And you could feel the love from the caller to Bertie. And it was really touching, I have to say. It really was very touching. And I learned a great deal from that because I think it's important, John, that you give, you give these people your time. And I think that's something, I think that's a very valuable lesson in life. And I think sometimes football players these days and some ex-football players these days they should look at Bertie and learn from how he was with football fans because he was marvellous. Exactly. And it's, um, you know, it, he's relatable to the, um, to, you know, the, the ordinary guy. You know, I think, Definitely. I, I think there's too many that are distancing themselves a wee bit with some yeah. justification, but not, not enough. But No, I agree. The world is, um, but it's the, the, the disease he had, you know, it's obviously um, been brought up more and more. You know, there seems to be a lot of ex footballers having it. I mean, Billy unfortunately passed with it, and um, Dennis yeah. Law, who was in the news as we speak today, he's suffering. Yeah. There's it's just um, go well, and I lost um, a grandparent this year, um, so it's just not a nice thing. And hopefully, they can find things to make the after you know the rest of life better, so to speak, if sure. they here. Yeah, I totally agree, John. Couldn't agree more. It's a horrible disease. You know, I I went through it with my own mother and it was heartbreaking to see the deterioration in her over a certain period of time to the point where we had to put her in a home because she needed round-the-clock care. And then when she deteriorated physically, spiritually, and just as a person, and it was just so sad to watch and I sympathise with anybody and everybody that's going through it because it's a, it's a horrible disease. It really is. And, um, you know, God rest the um, Bertie Olds. And um, the, another thing that I'll ask, um, probably a silly question, 
how often did they call you sheepy um, along with uh, Billy? Did they give you a good ribbon every time sales with Aberdeen, which would have been a lot in your time? Yeah, he never actually he never had a nickname for me like what Billy McDeal Billy, Billy McNeil had. Um, but he he would come in like for example on a if we had him on a Monday evening, which we used to have him on quite a lot on a Monday. And if Aberdeen had been beaten by Celtic, which was more time than not. Uh, during my, my time at Celtic TV, he would come in and he would, I could I could see, you could hear him coming through the corridor because he'd say hello to everybody. This is even outside the office, like here he comes. And he would take 20 minutes to walk around the office to say hello to everybody before he would actually get to us where we were all sat, the Celtic TV team, because he was just such a nice man and he, he had time for everybody. And it didn't, it didn't matter, John, what rank or what seniority you had in that office. He would go and say hello to everybody, like everybody was his pal. And it was just brilliant to see. And you could hear him giggling and chuckling and laughing. And you could hear my colleagues laughing away with him. And he would come over and he'd be like, ah, son, how did your team get on this weekend? <laughs> His, his arms were shaking and he was doing a little dance and a little hop. Hey, son, how's your team getting on? <laughs> I can still hear him saying it in that, that broad Glaswegian accent that he's got. And, oh, he used to rib me. He really did. <laughs> oh, fantastic stuff. Um, you know, fortunately, you're on to talk about Better Aberdeen moments than getting hammered by Celtic on a regular <laughs> basis. <Yeah. laughs> so, um, Aberdeen European Nights, your latest book. Um, mm. It's only been out a few weeks. Um, I've been reading um, the copy whenever I've had the time, and I've, I've nearly finished. Actually, it's um, in my opinion, it's an excellent read. How did you come Thank up you. with um, the idea with the book in the first place? Well, it wasn't actually my idea, so I can't take credit for it. It was the idea of my publisher, Peter Burns, from Polaris Publishers in Edinburgh. So he got in touch with me about three years ago now, John, and just simply asked me if we could meet the next time I was over. This is when I was still living in Qatar. So that the when I came over, and we met for coffee in Edinburgh, and he put the idea to me that he believed there could potentially be a series of books from all the blogs that I had written. And he told me that he was a big fan of my blog, that he dipped into them on a regular occurrence and really enjoyed the reads and just believed that there potentially could be a book to be written if I collated all the stories. So I went away and I thought about it. And I'll be brutally honest, John, I wasn't overly convinced about it because what I didn't want to do was give the people that followed my blog, the perception that the only reason I was doing it was to make money. That was never the intention with my blog. My blog was always there to write stories and to follow what is, as everybody knows, a huge love in my life. And I just wanted a platform to be able to tell stories. And that's where the blog came from. But then my wife made a really interesting point And she said to me, that my blog was doing very well. It was being very well received at the time. It was very successful. And she said to me, look, your blog is very niche and 
it only has a specific market, which is obviously Aberdeen fans. But not every single Aberdeen fan is going to be aware of your blog and is going to dip into your blog. So if you can give these stories a better platform, as in a book, then I think you should seriously consider this because these stories deserve a better platform. And she, was, she wasn't disrespecting my blog page or anything like that. She was just that old, I find it, you know, I, I talk about the old romance of holding a book, reading a book before you go to bed, you know, folding over the page to remind yourself where you are before you pick it up again, to pick up where you left off. Um, you know, smelling the, the, the print on your fingers and just turning pages the old-fashioned way. So turning pages instead of scrolling down a website. Yeah. She just said to me, there's, there's something more romantic about that. And she said to me, because the stories are so good, they basically deserve a bigger platform. And as she always is, she was absolutely spot on. She was so right. So I went back to Peter about, oh, it's about a year after we initially met. And it was also around about the time I got made redundant. So, so in fact, it was two years since I'd met him. And when I got made redundant, I wanted a project. So before I decided what I wanted to do with my life next, I wanted a project to keep me ticking over, to keep my brain working and um, to have a purpose in life. So I went back to him and said, right, if your offer still stands, let's do it. And he was absolutely cock a hoop, as you can imagine. And we chewed the fat over some ideas. And I said to him, look, I think potentially we've got the makings of a book about Aberdeen's most memorable European games. I think that's where we should start with. Mm -hmm. Because we can encapsulate so many great games, obviously Gothenburg. And why don't we start there and see where it takes us? Because if it, if it goes well and it's received well and it sells well, then potentially we could look at other volumes as well. So to cut a long story short, I'm sorry, waffled on a bit. That, 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 that's, that's where we all started. That's, that, that, that's great. It's just, it's just as well you listen to your wife, um, because um, oh, obviously, if you, if you know if you know my wife, you'll be listening to her as well. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all in that position, mate. You know, <laughs> I'm the same with mine. It's not just them um, for you. <laughs> Glad um, to know I'm not alone. <laughs> no, we're all in the same boat, but we wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> but <laughs> so the way you're hinting on there, this isn't going to be your only project. Potentially, we are looking at another one, maybe two books. Wow. So what I'm looking at now is the potential to put a book together about our Scottish Cup and League Cup campaigns, and then one also about winning the League Championship. But let's be honest, that's not really a book. That's more a pamphlet than a book. <laughs> so, yeah. so what we might have to do is seriously consider encapsulating Scottish Cups, League Cups, and League titles in one book. But we're still talking about it. It's still very early days because yeah. we, you know, it's only been what, five weeks since European nights hit the shelves. So we still want to very much concentrate on that. Yeah, exactly. Just calm yourself down. Let us, um... Yeah, <laughs> I'll let you enjoy this one first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think the Glen fans are still skint enough. After <laughs> um, what was the biggest challenges in terms of writing your book? 
the biggest challenge for me was finding the players who played against Aberdeen. So what I wanted to do was, after I had spoken to Paul Mariner, before he sadly died, about the Ipswich games, a lot of people mentioned to me how much they enjoyed reading that blog because it came from the opposition dressing room. So it was really interesting for them to see how an Ipswich town prepared to face Aberdeen in the UEFA Cup and everything that went with it. So one of the ideas that I put to Peter, the publisher, was why don't I try and source as many people as I can who played against Aberdeen in these big games and let's get some opponent's perspective on these games as well. Because I think it would add to the narrative. I think it would add to the interest in the book. And I think it's something that hasn't been done before to a certain degree. I know there are bloggers out there who have spoken to, to people who have played against Aberdeen, but not to the not, not to the finer detail that I've spoken to these guys um, and the depth that I've spoken to these guys as well. So the, the real challenge for me was to be able to source the chaps that I wanted to speak to. And that took, that took some time, took some research, took some digging, mm-hmm. called in a couple of favours. And thankfully, I was able to get, I would say, 90% of the people that I really wanted to talk to, I was able to get for the book. That's, that's brilliant, because it must be difficult, you know, trying to go to an opposition player to say, can we talk about a time when my team beat you? Yes, that's exactly <laughs> it, John. And you're the first person to say that to me, because why on earth would these guys want to relive a memory, which, let's be honest, is not the best memory from their professional career. So the way I had to approach it was tell them about the book, tell them about what I was doing, and to to convince them that, I am not here to make fun. I am not here to mock. I'm not here to stick the knife in. I'm here because I, as a fan of Aberdeen, are genuinely interested in how you shaped up and prepared to play against Aberdeen in these big European games and how your manager or your coach went head-to-head with somebody like Sir Alex Ferguson and Archie Knox. That was the angle that I was coming at. And thankfully, as I said, most came back and said, yes, no problem at all. The interesting one was Johnny Metgod, um, that you managed to get him, because he obviously was playing that Real Madrid team in that um, said game in 1983. Um, yeah. He had, um, you know, the Mickey to him a couple of times with Peter Weir and, uh, and things like that. So, you know, how interesting a character was he? He was absolutely brilliant, I have to say, and he was totally charming, John. So when I was able to track him down to Dubai, where he now lives... I, I sent him a message and he came back to me almost immediately and said, look, give me a ring. So I spoke to him, I told him who I was, I introduced myself. I, I said to him, look, can I send you some examples of my work? So I, I sent him some of my blogs and I told him of the idea, what I wanted to do. And John speaks fluent English, perfect English, and obviously remembers that time quite well even though he didn't spend a great deal of time at Real Madrid, he did particularly remember that season because it was the season where Real Madrid lost everything that they competed for that season. So it was still quite vivid in his mind. And in the end, we, we agreed to, to do an interview over Zoom. I said to him, look, 
I, out of respect, I'll send you the questions up front so that you can rejog, rejig your memory and so that you can see that there'll be no curveballs thrown in there, that I've got no agenda. And we spent a good hour on Zoom and he was, he was just brilliant. Some of the stuff he gave me was so interesting about how uh, De Stefano had set his team up to play against Aberdeen and how they prepared and the, the devastation of losing that game and, and how, how much he admired and respected Aberdeen and still does for how they played that night. And he takes absolutely nothing away from Aberdeen and their victory that, that evening, which, which I found really quite charming, I have to be honest. Yeah, I think when I read not just um, Johnny, but a couple of other players, there was a Hamburg player. Um, no, there was Paul Marner, obviously, before his sad passing. But mm. all of them seem to be complimentary of the of Aberdeen and recognised that we had a, a pretty good team back in the eighties. Obviously, you know about it. I don't. I was nappies by when we won the cups. Mm. Um, but you know, it's, I think that's that was quite good to see that um, you know there was no deflection of blame, you know, try to take away anything from Aberdeen. They recognise that Aberdeen were a top side. What I really enjoyed was speaking to Lars Goodmanson, who was the Icelandic striker that played for Watershine, who scored the goal against Aberdeen at Petodre when they were 4-0 down, and he scored the goal, and he didn't celebrate. And if you watch the YouTube clip back, he didn't celebrate at all. There was almost like a, an air of resignation about his celebration. And it was one of the, the questions I had for him. And I said to him, I said, Lars, why didn't you celebrate? And he said, because, Ali, I knew we were fucked. <laughs> you can't get more honest than that, can you? <laughs> you can't. Which really made me howl laughter when I was talking to him. And again, you know, Lars was fantastic and he gave me some really interesting information and what where I was really pleased about that whole chapter was I was able to source the player dossiers from Archie Knox who had written up all the dossiers on Watershine and Lars so happened to be part of the the dossier where Archie had written you know two or three paragraphs about him and how Aberdeen needed to defend against him and be careful of his pace and be careful of his, his heading ability, which, you know, ironically on the night, we came on stock. Um, so, yeah, it was really good to talk to him. And through him, I was able to track down Goodmunda Pettersson, who was the Reykjavik goalkeeper, who's in his late 80s and played against Aberdeen in their first ever European tie. Now, obviously, it was a very long time ago. And... He came back to me and said, I'd, I'd be delighted to help if I can. So I said to, um, to Goodmunder, look, let me send you some questions. And if you can answer them, fantastic. If not, just anything that you can contribute, I'd be very grateful for. And he came back and I was able to get three or, four, three or four paragraphs out of him, which for me was enough to be able to speak to the goalkeeper who you know, was in, played against Aberdeen in our first ever European game. Know that, I know that he lost 10 goals that night, but um, he was great. Absolutely brilliant. That's brilliant. I mean, again, I, we scored 10 passes. you want to relive that? But yeah. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously, um, you know, one of the few, very few benefits of lockdown is obviously, you know, 
Zoom, because um, of how we are speaking just now. But um, how beneficial has that been in terms of your book as well? Oh, hugely beneficial. And it, it's made it a lot more personable as well. And I think where Zoom has really worked for me is if you're talking to somebody over the phone and you've never met them and you can't see them, you, you obviously you try and paint a picture of what that person looks like. But when you can actually physically see them in front of you, I think it becomes a lot more personable and you can see the person reacting. And I think it was really important to me that when I was talking to your Johnny Metgoods and your, um, your Lars Goodmansons and these type of guys, that they could see me, that they could see the way I was reacting to them and they could see my body language. And hopefully by my mannerisms and my character, I was able to, to make them relax and see that there was going to be no agenda and that I, I was able to bring the best out of them. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I would have been able to do that if it was just a straightforward one-to-one telephone call or WhatsApp call or whatever, because I just think Zoom became a little bit more personable. So it was hugely beneficial, John. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, obviously you spoke to a lot of Aberdeen players and Willie Miller mm. did you forward. What did that mean to you, Willie Miller, the captain, oh. doing your oh. forward to it? it Honestly, I'm so blessed, John. You know, so Alex Ferguson wrote the forward for my first book, which was just, I honestly didn't think life could get any better. And Willie comes along and very kindly offered to write the forward for my book. And again, I just think, what have I done to deserve such luck in my life? And I'm truly honoured that Willie wrote the forward as Sir Alex wrote the forward for my first book. And... What it does make me feel, and this is not me blowing smoke up my ass, that it makes me feel proud because I think I've been able to carry forward my grandfather's legacy because he was big pals with Sir Alex Ferguson. And he did say to me once, you know, don't ever change. He said that to me when I had left MUTV and started working for Satanta and we came back down to interview him about the late Liam Miller, and he took me to one side and I'll keep some of the words private because I just it's, yeah. that's just something from, that I, I want to personally cherish and keep private. But he did say to me, don't ever change. And for me, that was the biggest compliment that I could ever receive. Yeah. And I absolutely swore to him that I never would. So the fact that these guys have enough trust in me as a person that whenever I write blogs or do interviews with them, they know there's there's nothing going to get thrown in there that I know shouldn't be thrown in. It's not going to go out on social media without their permission. The you know the narratives will not be published without them reading it through first and giving me their their final approval before I publish it. And I think it's really important to for me to work that way. I know it, I know in this day and age that journalism is completely different and it's about breaking news and breaking stories and being the first to get the story. And some folk would sell their own mother down the river to get a story and to, to get it out there. And I understand that. I get it. But that's not me. And it, it never could be me. It's not in my DNA. It's not in my genes. And I'm just not going to go there. And I've actually said to guys before, Look, I've read through the blog and I think we should put a couple of red lines through a couple of lines here because 
I think they're too close to the to the bone, and I think sometimes what stays in the dressing room should should stay there. What happens in the dressing room should stay in the dressing room, mm-hmm. and I don't think that we should um, exposure to to what potentially could blow up. So I also have a, a care of duty for the people that I that I speak to because listen, John. At the end of the day, they're giving up their time for free to come and talk to me. And you know how long it takes to do an interview on Zoom. It can take up to an hour. And these people are giving up their time for free. I've only once been asked for payment by an ex-player. And I just, I couldn't believe it when he asked me for payment. I was just, I was so taken aback. And I had to very politely try to explain to him that, you know, this is not a television interview, a radio interview you're doing. This is a, a written article and it's very unusual for people to receive a fee. And he was adamant that he wanted money out of me. <laughs> I said to him, you can get to fuck. There's no chance. <laughs> yeah. I think some, um, some people, they're, they're not in the real world when it comes out of things. You know, yeah. There's a difference listen, between Ali Begg's blog and Sky Sports News, with all due respect. Yeah. It's like fair play to the boy, you know, and I, and I can't knock him for it. I really can't. Yeah. But um, I was taken aback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, I mean, um, no one's asked for payment from Scottish Football Forms podcast. Um, and, well, You've got your check from me from the book that I bought, so that's your payment for this. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm not, I don't want to give any away to any potential readers, um, mm. so I will not ask you to disclose anything in the book, but just um, briefly s- describe which chapter did you enjoy um, writing the most and why? Oh, that's a good question. It, it was probably the Gothenburg one, John, because... I know it. I know the story has been told before, and I know the story has been told by by writers who are far more talented than I am. And I did not want to to even try and emulate what they had written. Um, I wanted to do it in my own style. I wanted to try and get the stories across in my own style. And if I could get anywhere close to how these guys had written their books, then I, I would be absolutely thrilled. So I just thought, look, let's try and be different. Let's, let, let, let's see how deep we can go. Let's see how far back we can go. Let's get right back into the, the minds of these guys and take them back all that time and see if we can just trigger memories, trigger some thoughts. How did you feel when this happened? What happened in this, on that occasion? How did you feel in this precise moment? All that kind of stuff. And we have to remember, John, it's, you know, it's coming up to 40 years ago now. So I had to really dig deep. And I, th- I would like to think that we've, we've done the whole Gothenburg story justice. And what I would like to think is that I've been able to make that chapter also quite emotional because... When you still speak to these guys, like your John Hewitt's and your Eric Blacks and even your Gordon Strachan's now, they look back on that time with, with such immense pride. And whenever I speak to John Hewitt about it, I, I can just, you know, his eyes light up. Even at my book launch a few weeks ago, when we were talking about it, his eyes light up. And it's, 
for me to be able to stand there and converse with him about the greatest moment in my life outside of having my children and marrying my wife is, again, I, I don't know why I've been so blessed and so lucky to be able to be in the company of these men who offered me the greatest moment in my life as a football fan and as a football supporter. So I would like to think that I've really been able to capture the, the true emotion of what was our greatest ever, greatest ever moment. You definitely have from my perception of reading it, and I've seen you've had a couple of reviews pretty much telling the same, so I think you definitely you. have, Ali, um, no doubt. Thanks, you mentioned them um, the lodge day. How did, how did that go um, in terms of you know being able to meet the, the legends and, and um, the people you spoke to for the book? I was like a kid in a sweet shop for the entire day. From the moment I got out of bed to the moment I went back to bed late evening, oh, I was just buzzing the whole day. It was just the best day to be able to, to have these guys come along to my launch. There's no words to describe it, John. It's so difficult to describe my feelings because these guys are all my heroes, every single one of them. I grew up loving these guys. I had posters of them on my walls. And I idolized them and I still do idolize them. And I've only met Peter Weir once, and that was years ago when he was, um, he was working for George Adams at the time. And I was totally starstruck when I met him. And when I saw him get out of his car and walk across the concourse at Saltire Energy's offices where I did the launch, I just, I had to pinch myself. And he came over and it was like we were long lost friends. And it was just, it was just wonderful. It was, it was magical for me. And Big Doug, you know, who was immaculately dressed, just looked the dog's bollocks. And he came over and gave me a big hug. And again, I'm just like, just, honestly, can my life get any better? It really can't. And uh, Willie was just his usual quiet unassuming, very dry sense of humour that he's got. And he'd he glint in his eye and I could see that he was enjoying it and I could see that he was really enjoying being in the company of his old pals again. And he came over and he put his arm around my shoulder and, and says, well done. He said, you should be very happy. You should be very proud. And I've really enjoyed it today and I'll see you on Saturday at the game. And off he toddled. And it's just like, well, he's well up. I love you, man. I love you. <laughs> um, so it was just really nice. And the whole day went so well. It actually went better than I thought it would. And the fact that five of the Gothenburg legends turned up for me is almost indescribable. Incredible. And then you've got the um, the Red Army buying um, the book from you at the club shop at Petorje, another special. Yeah. I know you've done that before with the last book, but still must, um, you know, you have to pinch yourself thinking, well, people are actually come up to me to um, get my book. Yeah, it's, you know, honestly, John, it, it, it's not a word that I, that I, that I use um, flippantly, but I was humbled. I really am. And I'm not just saying that. I truly am. Because for people to take time out of their day to come down to the shop to spend 
their hard-earned money on my book in our current economic climate where everybody's had a really tough time for the past 18 months to two years. It's humbling. And I wanted to spend as much time as I possibly could with these people to let them know how grateful that I am, that they took the time out of their day to come and see me and say hi and buy my book. And that's not me blowing smoke up people's arses. That's not me, you know, brown-nosing people. I'm not doing that, John. I I genuinely mean it, and I'm being absolutely 100% sincere here when I say this. It's, It's touching. It's really touching. And well, you deserve it because um, you know you've been you're a passionate Don's fan, you know, and you know the stuff that you've been producing has um, been fantastic. Um, how um, how are sales going at the moment? You know, yeah, we, we, believe it or not, we're not that far away from selling out. So yeah, I'm not surprised we, to hear that. Yeah, I'm, again, I'm absolutely blown away. It it took me two years to sell out my first book. It's taken us now what nearly two months to potentially sell out this book. So we're already talking about having to do a reprint and potentially do a relaunch. So, and that could be as early as January. So I know that we have a certain amount of books left for the Christmas market, which we're kind of holding off slightly because I really hope that everybody that wants one for Christmas will be able to get one. But it, it is looking more than likely, John, that we're going to have to do a reprint and we'll do a, a paperback. So, which means I could, as I just mentioned, we could have a relaunch. I might even update the book. I've got a couple of ideas spinning in my head at the moment about potentially updating the book as well. So it's it's gone incredibly well. I'm, I'm blown away. I'm over the moon, John. Again, just, it's, it's amazing, mate. Yeah, superb, and hopefully um, you get that sell it and you get to, um, for those who are disappointed not to get it yet, at least we know there might be more coming later, so... Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Let's hope so. Um, right, for any um, aspiring authors of football books, um, like myself, and I've got a few friends who are writing books as well, um, what tips do you have? Just do your research. You can't do enough research. I spent hours trawling through old newspaper articles, magazine articles, going online and just finding stories which fitted the book. And I was very fortunate that some people helped me along the way um, where I was able to, to call upon their expertise as well. And I was very fortunate to call, call upon people who have kept a lot of old newspaper clippings and magazine clippings where I was able to lift stories and text from from there as part of the research and then put it into my own narrative. So I was very fortunate that way. But honestly, if you think you're finished, you're not. You know, I thought I had gathered enough information from a Spanish point of view for the Gothenburg book in terms of how the Spanish press were reacting to Real Madrid. And then I pick up the Heritage Trust's Black and, Black and Gold magazine, and they've got a whole um, segment dedicated to how the Spanish press had reacted to Real Madrid losing against Aberdeen that I hadn't, hadn't seen before. And 
I was like, how in the name of Christ did you find that? And I didn't. And do you know what? Fair play. And that showed me, and I was a little bit disappointed in myself because if I dug a little bit deeper, I might have been able to find it. So there's always stories there. There's always nuggets that you can find. So if you think you're finished, maybe go back one more time and dig again because you never know what might be hiding. Yeah, I'm certainly learning the hard way. Um, but, <laughs> but thanks very much for that tip. Um, I'll certainly take it on board. So um, you're doing as part of um, your part. You're doing your consultancy work still, but you're also now involved in the project, the Big Fat Saturday Football Show with uh, Stephen mm. Mill and Ewan Cameron. How did that get mm. come about? Well, believe it or not, that actually started a year ago. In fact, longer than that now, eighteen months ago. So I was still in Qatar and uh, an email popped into my blog site from a guy called John Slater, who is one of the content directors for North Sound Radio. And he put this idea to me about potentially coming on board as Aberdeen's new expert, pundit, reporter, however you want to describe it. And would it be of, of interest to me? And at the time, I confess it was not, because being in front of camera and putting myself out there was not really what I wanted to do. And I was still very much uncomfortable with that idea. I felt that, for me, that ship had sailed when I left my presenting career behind. Now, don't get me wrong, I was enjoying doing the, the Zoom interviews and the Zoom casts um, with the ex-players, that I was enjoying and that I could live with. But to go on a national radio station and put myself out there, I wasn't overly comfortable with the idea, I have to be honest. So it kind of just drifted away. And then I moved here after leaving Qatar and John got back in touch and said, hey, look, do you want to readdress this, uh, this proposal, this idea that I've got about you coming on board and what do you think? And, you know, John and I spent a few hours talking about it. We really did. And he said to me, look, let me send you the show. Have a listen to the show and tell me what you think. And I have to be honest, I'd never heard, I'd never heard of the show because obviously I've been living abroad for so many years. So I, I was not aware of the show. And he sent it to me and I swear, John, I just laughed and laughed and laughed. And I thought to myself, this is not what I was expecting at all. I was expecting, you know, good afternoon and welcome to the big Saturday football show from Bauer Media. And today we've got our reporters all over the grounds and here's some music. I thought it was going to be quite posh and well-to-do. Oh my God, how wrong could I be? The laughter and the banter and the mickey-taking, and the music, and the games, and the match reporting, and the goal flashes that they do, I just loved it. And I thought to myself, if I was living back home and wanted to listen to the radio, this is the type of show that I would want to listen to, because it's just really, really good fun. And the guys have absolutely no qualms about taking the mick out of each other. 
They have no issues with having the mickey taken out of them, which I think is very important. So that self-deprecating humour is very evident throughout the show, which is just brilliant. So when you combine football, music, fun and games, reporters at grounds, goal flashes, for me, it's, it's the perfect combination. So after listening to the show and going over some ideas with John and what he expected of me and what they wanted me to do, I, I accepted their offer. And I have to say it's one of the best things I've ever done because I'm loving it, John. Honestly, I so look forward to my Saturday afternoons because it's just really great fun. I'm not going to lie, so when I read that you were part of this, the first thing that came to me is what I remember a spat you had with you and Cameron yeah. a couple of years ago. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I have to, I, I have to, I have to admit, and you knows this, so this, this won't come as a big surprise to you. Yeah. I was slightly hesitant because of that, but when I think about it, you know, you and I got on very, very well when I was working at Satanta. He's a good lad. He's a gobshite, and he knows he's a gobshite. Yeah. <laughs> he's a clickbaiter, and he knows that. But Ewan is a very talented journalist. And he's able to reel people in and then spit them back out again. Yeah. And not many people can do that. And he's a huge football fan. He's a massive Hearts fan. And I know that we take the mick out of him because we all think he's a Rangers fan. But he takes that with such good grace. And he's very quick. He's very witty. And he's very funny. And it just adds to that show. And I think the camaraderie between myself, Stephen, Ewan and Stevie Cowan, thankfully, I think it's working because, you know, I'm doing it from here, from home. And it's sometimes very difficult when you don't have four people together in a studio because you don't know when to jump in or you don't know when to react or you don't know if he's leading to a song or something like that. So the, the timing is very important. And I think that we, that we, I tell you what, I don't think we're that far away from, from pretty much nailing it. But when you peel it all back, John, most importantly is it's just four blokes having a lot of fun on the radio. That's good to hear. Uh, Stephen Mill actually messaged him to get a question um, from him and he just says, um, you mentioned the fact you had a bet with you recently that if I believe yeah. that he'd resign from the show. So that must yeah. have been the greatest feeling ever, putting him in his box. <laughs> that was hilarious. It was so funny because I was watching the Hearts game on Red TV and because I'm watching it from here, there's, there's no rights issues, which mean that the guys can come to me if anything happens during the game because I'm not physically in Scotland. If I was to be physically in Scotland, then the, the broadcasting rights completely change and they're not allowed to come to me. But because I'm watching the game from here, there's no issues with that. So obviously when Hearts went one nil up, I was just like, oh my God, this I'm never going to hear the end of this. I'm really, really not. And then obviously we win the game 2-1 and win it quite spectacularly at the end, didn't we? And it was so funny. It was so funny. And the way the guys produced the programme about having to, to, to give you a big send-off. <laughs> it was just, it was brilliantly done and it was so quick because the guys have to react. They have to react immediately. And, you know, the humour has to come quickly. 
And sometimes, as you well know, John, sometimes humour doesn't work. And oh, it, was, it was so funny. And I actually I came off that show and I, I called John uh, from North End, you know, who's, who, who gave me the job. I said to him, honestly, mate, you have no idea how happy I am that I'm part of this show. That, that is one of the best shows that I've ever done in my entire life. And we, we were just speaking about it. You know, we were getting text messages from the directors of Bauer Media saying what a fantastic show it was and how much they enjoyed it. And uh, it's, it's just great fun, John. Uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad you're enjoying it. And uh, Stephen, we've had him on um, our podcast as well as a good lad. Oh, yeah. And, um, oh, he's a yeah, good lad. Yeah, this was before his famous um, Mitrovic penalty save moment, um, you know, that made that, you know, that was nominated for a radio award. Um, he's just, you know, just just to sum up um, your relationship with him, albeit I, I get again, it's over Zoom. Well, thankfully, when I was over, so I've been over to Scotland twice in the past two months now. So the first time that I came over, because I hadn't been over for two years, and I, I thought to myself, do you know what? I'm going to make the effort to go through to Glasgow because I was staying in Edinburgh working with Concilium Sports Group. And I thought, listen, let's make the effort. Go through and see the guys. Let's meet them face-to-face and, and say hello. So I went through and I met Stephen and uh, just, you know, we'd, we'd hit it off on the radio and we'd hit it off by just calling each other. So I knew that I, would, I was going to get on famously with him. And when I met him, it was just it was just like meeting an old pal, you know? And uh, it was just really, really nice. And he, he took me on a tour of Clyde Radio. And I'd not been to Clyde Radio since, you know, back in the day. Um, you know, so I'm going back to 93 and 94. And it's exactly the same as I remembered it. It was, it was bizarre. Obviously, the technology's changed a lot, so there's a lot of new gadgets and toys, but it was exactly how I remembered it from when I was back in the band. So it was quite a nice little nostalgic trip, and I ended up, I was there for two hours, and just chatting on with Steve, and just really, really enjoyed his company, and it was really great fun, and I had a fantastic afternoon, and he's really, really good on the radio. He's got a really nice way about him. He's got a great voice. His timing is immaculate. And his humour, it's my type of humour, self-deprecating, just, just having good fun. And I like that. And what I also like about the show is you've got no old firm um, commitments there. You know, you've got a Dunfermline fan, a Hearts fan, Stevie Cowan, and myself, a big Aberdeen fan. So we can talk about everything else apart from the old firm. And I really like that. He must have a good laugh if I'm slagging each other's team for a pinch shit because we're all oh. in the time of boat. <laughs> oh dear, all the time. And we all get it in the neck. And we're in a WhatsApp group and you must see the banter on the WhatsApp group. <laughs> Can Honestly, the, the, there's a programme in the WhatsApp group in itself. <laughs> uh, I can only imagine. So who's the biggest wind-up merchant out of the two? Oh, Ewan, without a shadow of a doubt. But as I said, he's so good at it. And uh, he, oh, yeah. But to be fair, the two of them really wind each other up anyway. And what I'm really looking forward to is when, whenever Aberdeen have to play on a Sunday, obviously my role is slightly different on a Saturday. So I get involved more in the, in the show. So what I'm hoping is that the next time that I'm over, if Aberdeen so happened to play on a Sunday, I can go through to Glasgow 
and actually do the show from the studio with the boys. And I think that would be really good fun to do that. That's what I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, well, let's hope that you get to do that. I'm sure you'll get the opportunity. I mean, the fact yeah. you're a little bit closer, um, you know. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a lot easier. It's a lot easier now. I'm just a hop away now, so it's not too bad. Definitely. So before I come to all the random questions I've asked from fellow, um, you know, from fans. And Did you get any? Players, not on Twitter. I got a few from WhatsApp groups and um, oh, former players, so mm-hmm. okay, cool. So um, I've got a few good ones, so you're not going to shy away. But uh, right. <laughs> before I get them, um, <laughs> the Scotland national team and the World Cup yeah. playoff. Um, yeah. You know, crowds have been back at Hamden. I've been back at Hamden. It's been fantastic. You know, what chance do you give us of reaching Qatar? It's still going to be difficult, but there's a lot of belief growing. Well, that's the thing. All of a sudden, Steve Clark has given us the belief back in the national team that has been missing, I think, for so long. And I'm now feeling about Scotland how I used to feel about Scotland when I was a kid growing up, about them qualifying for 82 and qualifying for 86 and qualifying for 1990. Those are the times that I really remember following Scotland. Um and I'm getting those, those feelings of nostalgia back again. And it was fantastic watching them against Denmark. What I thought we were brilliant that night. Honestly, I thought we played magnificent. And it was a joy to watch. And I was a wee bit worried because obviously there was a, there was a couple of injury problems. I think there was one or two suspensions, if my memory serves me correct. And I just thought, oh, you know, potentially we could slip up here and we're then going to face a seeded team in the playoff. And, oh, my God, how good were we? I mean, Che Adams scored that second goal. I was actually in the middle of quite a deep conversation with my wife at the time. We were talking about our, talking about our boys. It was quite a deep conversation. And I've got one eye on the game and one eye on, on the line. And then Che and they got to a really important part in the conversation about our son. <laughs> Jay Adams scored. Honest to Christ, man, I came off that sofa like a rocket ship. <laughs> She's like, sit back down. We have to talk about this. It's really important. <laughs> no, it's important. Um, she Adams going with him. It's like, give me a second, darling. Just let me get it out. Um, I was shouting and screaming. And then when we nearly scored the third goal. <laughs> oh, dear. You know, I was already halfway up on the sofa and she's pulling me back down. behave yourself we have to talk about this <laughs> oh, so uh, it was such a good night um, but what I'm hoping now John is that we get a favourable draw in March uh, so I do not want to face the Czech Republic and I do not want to face Austria because one I will never hear the end of it from my my extended family (laughs) but secondly since we beat Austria they've beaten Moldova and Israel and I've watched them okay Moldova weren't great shakes but I watched them against Israel and they were 2-1 down at one point and there was hardly anybody in the stadium I was really surprised it was a very small attendance and I don't know where they where that performance came from after they went 2-1 down they were absolutely sensational and Nautovic, oh my God, it, he was incredible. His, his touch to set up their fourth goal, his first touch, honestly, I've never seen a first touch like it. 
he's controlled this ball dead as it's coming across his body. And normally, a ball coming across your body, you would control it with the instep of your right or your left foot. So it's coming at him from his right. It's getting zipped across the 18-yard line. He's controlled it with the outside of his right foot. And he's killed it dead. And his next touch is to just lay it off to the boy who scored. And I'm just, honestly, it had me off my seat. So Austria, all of a sudden, since we've beaten them, are starting to really get things together. So I don't want to face Austria. So I'm happy to face either Turkey, Poland, North Macedonia or, or Ukraine, ideally North Macedonia. Yeah, I think most people would um, take that option. I wouldn't mind a crack at Ukraine again, personally, because um, I know they were quarter-finalists in the Euros, but I don't think they were great in the tournament. That's just, again, a personal opinion. But yeah. you know we're going to get Austria, because as Ian Crocker said, they're going to be like the new Israel. <laughs> just I know, I know, I know, but I really hope we don't. I really hope we don't. I so, I, I, because they are playing well at the moment. So, yeah, fingers crossed we don't. Yeah, we'll wait and see. Cause, but, um, yeah, because I'll, I'll be... I'll be sleeping in the garden. <laughs> yeah, at least at Hamden, it gives us a chance. It's, um, we'll just need to um, see yeah, how it goes. Exactly. So we'll, we'll crack on with the, the questions from various um, chats, etc. So from our podcast WhatsApp group, um, Ross asks him, who was your favourite Beatle? If you Paul like McCartney. Beatle. Yeah, Paul McCartney. Um, Erin, who's a fellow Aberdeen fan, she asks, what, we ask every guest, what's your favourite pie? What's my favourite? Pie. Chicken and mushroom. Interesting choice. Um, Scott um, says, who, asks, who's your favourite opposition player playing against Lund? Oh my goodness, what a good question. Current or past? Any. I didn't like when we used to have to face Nakamura from Celtic. He used to put the fear of God into me. So Nakamura from Celtic. It's an interesting choice, definitely. Um, he, was, he was a good player, definitely. Very um, good. And, uh, and the other John asks, um, what musician from the 90s would make the best football player? Oh, oh, dearie me. That's a really good question. Okay. Let me think back to some of the charity football games that I played in. Tony Hadley was actually Tony Hadley was a good player, and was was Spando Bali around in the nineties? I think they split up in the early nineties, didn't they? So Tony Hadley wasn't bad. He played full back. He was a little bit slow, but like Teddy Sheringham, good for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'll have to go with Leroy from the Prodigy. Remember the Prodigy? Oh, right. Yeah, I remember Prodigy. Yeah. So Leroy, uh, who was part of the Prodigy, he played with us, and he was a really good player. Because he's really tall mm-hmm. and he always played up front. And he honestly, he had a, um, his positional sense was fantastic and he had an eye for goal. He was a real natural finisher. I remember that. So I, I remember really enjoying playing with Leroy. So I'd have to say Leroy from the Prodigy. A real fire started up front. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> they don't get any better than that <laughs> or worse. <laughs> Um, Callum of Football CFB, who you've also spoken with, um, he's got two questions. First of all, the best atmosphere you've ever had at Petorget? I think I know what that answer's going to be. And um, he also asks, what's the greatest Dons team from your lifetime that didn't win anything? So Bayern Munich 83, 
was the best atmosphere by a country mile. Mm-hmm. And I think the best team not to win anything was probably the 19... Oh, no, they won this. No, 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 they won the Coca-Cola Cup. It's another good question. I know personally, my answers would be to that. Do you know what? I'm wondering if the team uh, with, um, let me think now, that beat Grunigan and then Rijeka, the team that should really have done an awful lot better that year in the league. Mm-hmm. We're, you know, we're at one point we were top of the league after beating Celtic at Pataudry. 15-16. Yeah, that was a really good team. Yeah. I think the the the... The 88 team was a really good team as well. Sort of 87, 88, just after Fergie left and just before Alex Smith came in, it was quite, it was not, not a bad team. Obviously, the team that lost the league on the last day of the, the, the day against Rangers, that was an unbelievable team as well. So that was, what, 91? Yeah. Yeah, no, it was got, it's got to be that team, the 1991 team, because I was thinking the Scottish Cup the year before but it, that was a different season because that was 89-90. So it was 90-90-91 when we lost the league in the last game of the season. So definitely that team. 1990-91. Yeah, definitely. I think 92-93 could have been up there too. Treble runs yeah, well, up. Rangers team, to be fair. But Willie Miller's team, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But there's no wrong mm. answers here, Ali. That's your opinion, that's mine. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. We'll argue later who's right and wrong. <laughs> no, but... <laughs> Yeah, to be fair, I mean, in my opinion, the 1991 team had won a trophy the year before, to be fair. But I get I get that point, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Grant Campbell of Campbell's Footballs um, asked for random memories and interactions with fans. Is there any funny stories from meeting fellow supporters? The, yeah, there were, there's a couple of stories. <laughs> there was one. It was, I actually, it was during my time in the band and I, I, I I got a break, so I came home and I said to my dad, right, let's go to a game. And it just so happened that Aberdeen were playing at Pataudry that weekend, so we managed to, to get to the game. I can't remember who we were playing, but what I do remember is that Joe Miller had not long rejoined us. Mm-hmm. And my father, my father always used to like to sit in the south stand and he would like to sit underneath the television gantry and try and get about halfway down but that particular day, I don't know why, but we got in late and it meant we had to go a little bit further down. So we were, so we were about maybe five or ten rows up from the, the pitch. And I remember <laughs> the guys were doing their warm-ups and somebody pinged a ball at Joe and he miscontrolled it and it fell. the ball fell into the, the seats and a, a, a young kid ran over and threw the ball back to Joe. And somebody to our left or our right, wherever it was, shouted out, hey, we man going to show us some magic today. And I swear, in the blink of an eye, another fan shouted, I going to fucking disappear. Harsh. <laughs> Very harsh. And then there was another, uh, just, I came back from Singapore, and I think it was my first time back from Singapore after I just moved out there. And I took my mum to a game we played against Hearts and I, I, I was very lucky I got um, the, the the lads treated me to uh, uh, the, the prawn 
brigade, <laughs> the prawn sandwich brigade. <laughs> so I thought I'd treat my mum. So we we uh, so we had a really nice afternoon, and then we went out. And we were watching the game from the, the posh seats, and there was a guy sat next to us who was just not happy. Just everything and anything that Aberdeen did, he just wasn't happy. And he's just shouting and shouting and shouting, and you can see people really starting to get quite irritated with him. But as as the game went on, his voice was getting higher and higher and higher. The more agitated and angry he was getting, and eventually, an old woman just turned around and went, "For Christ's sake, man! Only cats and dogs can fucking hear you now." <laughs> Oh, God. I think the whole of the Richard Donald stand nearly collapsed in laughter. That was so funny. I've never forgotten that. That was so, so funny. I didn't stop laughing. I Honestly, I think I was laughing that much. I missed Aberdeen's equaliser. <laughs> <laughs> just, just like your lucky stars, they've not asked you to sing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, every cloud. <laughs> So a couple of que- um, questions or statements from former players. So first of all, our good friend Robert Connor. Um, yeah. Why why do you not have a full chapter dedicated to him? He's a cheeky bandit, I swear. He's had a full blog dedicated to him. <laughs> Maybe you could write his autobiography. Yeah, that would be a pamphlet as well. <laughs> Um, and Willie Garner, who I like to call the gaffer. Um, yeah. We, um, when when's he getting his signed copy? He was on holiday during the lunch, and um, I know, went to I send invoice. Um, a few times he called me for information. Is <laughs> <laughs> that what he said? <laughs> Actually, Willie was fantastic because he gave me all the stuff on Austria Memphis. So when I wrote the chapter about Austria Memphis, he was able to to give me all the information I needed from that game for that chapter. So Willie's contribution has not been forgotten. And I was going to actually hand deliver a signed copy to him on a silver plate, but he was on holiday. So, you know, what's one supposed to do? Well, you'll see him in a couple of months for the Ian Jess gig. Yeah, Um, I will. Because I know know he's got that. And speaking of Mr. Jess, Mm. um, if you were Jason from Take That, not a great voice, but could throw a few moves in the dance floor. Had good hair. <laughs> Someone actually called me the once called me the Gary Barlow. <laughs> Take that, ugly and couldn't dance. <laughs> How did you make a boy band? <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, so, you, so, you, so you're saying I can sing? Well, I'll take that. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Listen, um, I was a, when I was a teenager, I must say, Bad Boys Inc. was not in my playlist in the 90s, no offence. <laughs> Don't worry, it wasn't on my playlist either. <laughs> oh dear, well, I think that's um, that's everything. I mean, I was going to throw you a curveball then, but I won't do it. Go I'll on, tell you why chuck it. Go on. Are you sure? You. Right, go you. for it then. Right, so, then. your greatest ever Aberdeen team was Theo Snelders, Stuart McKimmy, Alec McLeish, Willie Miller, Doug Rugby. Gordon Strachan, Scott Seven, Neil Simpson, Peter Weir, Ian Jess, and Frank McDougall. If you yeah. had to replace three of those with the current squad, who would they be? Replace three of them? Yes, with, with the, the current with the, squad. With the current squad? Yes. Oh, John. 
that's why I wasn't right. going to throw it in. <laughs> okay, right, hang on. Let me grab my book. Let me have a quick look at my team. Right, so... So imagine it's I, the 60th minute and for some reason this lot are struggling. Okay, so I would... I would swap Stuart McKimmy for Andrew Considine. I would swap Scott Severin for Scott Brown. And, oh God, I would swap. Oh my God. The last one's really hard. Oh no. Who's the last one? I can't lose Big Eck and Willie, surely. I can't lose Simi and Gordon, surely. Or Peter or Ian. Okay, okay, okay. Theo, I'm so sorry. I'm going to swap Theo with Joe. Okay, so that's Theo for Joe Lewis. Mm-hmm. Stuart McKinney for Andrew Considine and Scott Severin for Scott Brown. That's interesting. I must say, I would have found that difficult. So, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, fair play to you. Um, no, thank you very much for your time again, Ali. Good luck. Oh, with pleasure, John. Sales and, um, you know, hopefully um, see you soon um, when you're next over in the UK. Thanks again for having us on, mate. All right, take care.